and, and work our way towards Easter. Um, this Sunday we're going to, even though this is what we typically call Palm Sunday, this is the Sunday that begins Holy Week, that begins Easter Week as Jesus is making his way. We looked at that text last week. If you weren't with us, we looked at uh, Jesus and the, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and we saw the idea that that he knew what was going to happen when he got there, and we know what's going to happen while he's there in Jerusalem on this last visit uh, during his earthly ministry. And, and so there's this anticipation that grows with Christ drawing nearer to this, this final battle between he and death, and between he and sin, and between he and evil, and Part of that song that the ladies just sung, Miss Rebecca sang about it. It's one of my favorite pictures, and I read the text last week from Revelation 1, but it's of Christ there at the end, whenever John sees him in the Revelation, and him saying that I'm, I am the living one who was dead and is now alive, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. And I love that beautiful picture of him as the one who has overcome death, and it was overcome sin and the punishment for sin. And today, in Luke chapter 23, we're going to look and see where and when and how it is that Christ has overcome sin. How he has overcome Hades or hell or the punishment that is deserved for sin. We're going to look at that. So just to be clear, between the text that we looked at last week at his triumphal entry and the text that we're looking at today... There are a lot of things that took place, right? There are some meetings, there are some discussions, there are some teachings that Jesus has. There's Judas's betrayal, and there's, there's Peter's denial, and there's the mock trial, and all of these things have taken place. But for our purposes, I don't want us, in looking at all those things, to run out of time to be able to look at the crucifixion of Jesus. And so we're going to begin there in Luke chapter 23 verse 26 this morning, as we see Jesus and what he endured for us. So beginning in verse 26, it says, And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? And so in this we see... To make sure we're all in the same place here. Jesus has, he's been, he's gone through this trial, the mock trial really. And the people have asked for him and asked that he be crucified. And so that, that has been handed down and he has been beaten and he has been whipped to this point. And now they are to the point that they are actually taking him outside of the city to Golgotha, to the place of the skull, where they are going to put him on the cross and crucify him. And so this is as they're leaving the city and as they're headed up for the actual crucifixion, that's where these things are taking place. Now, many of you know, and I'm not going to go into the, the history aspect of it, but crucifixion was 
the worst form of execution in the Roman world, right? So he's been handed down the worst form of execution that you could find in that day and time. This was for the worst of the worst. And what we see here is Jesus, right? God in human flesh who has come and has taken on humanity, who has been beaten literally almost to the point of death. And as he is in that state, and as he has been in a human way, completely humiliated, spit upon, hit in the face, made fun of, mocked in every way that we can imagine. All of these things have taken place. And now he's being, he's being led out of town. And the, these people that are following him show us exactly what's happening. There are the people that are weeping for him because it's clear that this man has been sentenced to death. And will soon die. And so they're weeping for him. And there's something else that's following here. And it's the cross. Right? So it's clear what's taking place. It's clear what he's going through. So he is going to a place where he will have nails driven through his hands and through his feet. And then he will hang there on that cross until his muscles give out to the point that he literally cannot lift himself. And will suffocate there lying or hung on a cross. For everybody to see. That's what's been handed down to Jesus. That is what he's taking part in right now. But what I want you to really pay attention to this morning. That has really captivated my thoughts as I've looked at this text this week. Is, is while Jesus is in that state. Headed to that place. Look what he says in verse 28. It says, but turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. But weep for yourselves and for your children. And then he goes on and tells them why. Right? And, and we can debate exactly what he's talking about there, whenever he's talking about it. If things, here's what he's saying with all that. He's saying, if things are this bad now, imagine how bad they're going to get. Right? That's what he's saying. All those things he says, that's what, it's, that's what he's summing up. If they're this bad now, right, when the, when the wood is green, imagine how bad it's going to be whenever the wood is dry. And those of you that ever tried to burn green wood versus dry wood, you know. And so he's saying, things are bad now. They're going to get worse. And we can debate exactly what he's talking about there. But, and literally, we can debate that. I'd be glad to discuss it with you if you're interested in it. But I don't think it's the takeaway whenever we're looking at this text this morning, I think the takeaway that we see here is the compassion that Jesus has for these people. That while he's been beaten almost to death and while he's being taken to be put on a cross to be crucified in the worst form of execution, that he is not saying, woe is me. Yes, cry and weep for me. Yes, I deserve all of your pity. No, even in this instance, in this moment, in this time, Jesus is turning to them and he's teaching them and he's warning them and he's trying to prepare them and he's showing compassion to these people. And that's point one this morning. Christ's compassion is unfailing. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you've ever been in this place in life before where you had something that you knew that you needed to get done but you also had something that was distracting you from doing what you needed to do. Has that ever happened to anybody else? Right? No? That is interesting. 
So there, there, this happens all the time, right? We have something, and the bigger the distraction, the harder it is to do what we need to do, right? And so when there's something that I know that I need to do, but there's something that's really distracting me, my attention is kind of pulled both ways, and sometimes what I need to do doesn't get the attention that it should. But what we see here is that, and, and I literally mean this point, that, that his compassion towards us is unfailing. It never fails. If there were ever a point in time that God would be so consumed with what he needed to do at the moment, if there was ever a point in time that he would have been so preoccupied that maybe he would have forgotten to care about other people, it would have been here. Because I want us to stop for just a moment and to think back on all of the things that are taking place at this moment. Right, He has been beaten almost to the point that he cannot even carry his own cross out because of how physically weak and beaten he is at this point. He has been betrayed by one of his followers. He has been denied by the leader of the followers, as we count Peter. Right, These things have taken place. The people are weeping. He's going to the cross. And we have to remember... That even though crucifixion was the worst form of execution in this day and time, that the nails and the suffocating were the least of what Jesus was about to endure. And I, I really want to emphasize that for us this morning. That what he was going to deal with, what he was about to take upon himself, the punishment was not the punishment of Rome and nailing him to the cross, but it was the punishment of God towards the sin of all people. So if you remember the night before this, Jesus is in the garden, and when he's in the garden, he prays and says, uh, he says, Father, if it's your will, remove this cup from me. And this idea of the cup is this, it's a picture that's used multiple times in Scripture of a cup that is filled with God's wrath towards sin or sinners. And so Jesus is there in the garden and he's preparing for the cross and he knows that while he's on the cross that he is going to receive the wrath of God, the punishment of God for all of our sins. So all of the sins that you have committed and all the sins that I have committed and all the sins that you will commit during your life and all the sins that I will commit during my life, there's punishment for all of those. And all of that punishment Jesus was going to receive by himself while on the cross. That is what this idea of this, this cup that we've told that he, that he took for us, that he drank that cup. And, and you can put that with other scriptures that we know, like Romans 3.25 tell us that he was put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, what does, what does that mean, propitiation? You could say atoning sacrifice. It means that he was a sacrifice in the place of something else. So anytime that you had something that was a propitiation, it means like in the Old Testament, if they sacrificed a lamb in their place, then that lamb was the atoning sacrifice. It took their place. And here for us, Jesus is our propitiation. He is the sacrifice. So while he's on the cross, as bad as the nails hurt... 
And as bad as the humiliation is, more than all of that, he is receiving the wrath of God against sin for all of our sins, for every single one of our sins that have ever been committed and ever will be committed. That's all being laid on him while he's on the cross. And while he's walking up the hill, knowing that that's coming, he's turning around and he's showing compassion and teaching and warning and preparing these people that are following him. And when I see that, I said, that's my Savior. Right? That is the Jesus that I know. That at, at, at the time, that if there's any time that God would ever be pre, too preoccupied to do his job, he's turning around and he's showing compassion and he's loving and he's caring for other people. Because, brothers and sisters, God is never, ever too preoccupied for us. He's never too busy. He never forgets us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And His compassion does not end. And this great display of care and concern and compassion, it doesn't just stop there. Look back at the text with me in verse 32. It says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull... There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription, there's also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. So what we see here, Luke is, he's showing us that, that Christ was crucified and the criminals were crucified, one on each side of him. But he's also, I think, doing a very good job of highlighting the hatred and the hostility and the disgust and the antagonism of these people that are around him. Right, we see these people around him and we see that that the rulers are scoffing at him, right? That they are belittling him, that they are making fun of him. That the soldiers are mocking him, and, and so they care so little about him that they're casting lots to divide up his clothes while he's there. We see that they further try to demean him as they put the sign above his head, right? The king of the Jews, and, and as they've put these nails through his hands and feet, they've everything that you can imagine that would show that these people are antagonists to Christ, that they are hateful to Christ, that they are being mean to Christ, that they do not care at all about Christ. We see in this text about these people. These people that appear to be clearly evil people, clearly sinful people, people that there's nothing about them that would make them deserve even a second glance from Christ. And yet what we see in verse 34 is that Jesus said, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the midst of these people showing hatred and guile and disgust toward Jesus, He is praying that they would be forgiven. And point two is that Christ's forgiveness is unmatched. Right, not only is His compassion unfailing, but His forgiveness is unmatched. Brothers and sisters, we have trouble forgiving people when they do very small and little things. And these people are crucifying Him and enjoying it 
and mocking him while doing it and disregarding him in the midst of all of it and while they're doing that. What seems like the worst of the worst that have ever lived, Christ is praying that they would be forgiven. And I just see this forgiveness in him that is unmatched in anyone or anything that we'll ever see. And it's good news for these people, is it not? For these people that are around him that have taken part of this, it is good news that Christ is forgiving as he is. But you know who else it's good news for? Zach Kilpatrick. Because I didn't hang Jesus on a cross with literal nails and a hammer. right? And I didn't cast lots to divide up his clothes. But I can tell you this, I'm no more deserving of a second glance from Jesus than these people are. I'm no more deserving of forgiveness and atonement for my sins and mercy and grace and love and eternal life than the soldiers that were casting lights at Jesus' feet. I'm no more deserving. Because I've sinned over and over and over, as terrible and horrible as these people seem, as they're mocking Him, as they're making fun of Him, as they're saying things about Him. You know, it makes me think about all the times in my life when I knew the right thing to do, I knew what Scripture called me to do, and I did something different anyways. It wasn't ignorance. It wasn't that I, I made a mistake. It was that I chose to do the wrong thing. Right? And I think about how many times in my life that I've known exactly what I should be doing, and I just waste time not doing what I should be doing. Think about how undedicated through the years I've been in prayer and scripture reading and all of these sort of things. How, how terrible I have been at discipling others the way that I should and things that I should have been doing differently and I knew I should have been doing differently. I just haven't been committed to them like I should have been. And I think, Lord, why would you ever forgive me? Why would you care for, I don't know why you cared for these people like you, but I don't know why you care for me like you do either. But then I sing the song that we sang this morning. My sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. And I'm excited to sing it because it's true and because it's good news, because it's the only hope that I ever have. If it were not for the love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, there would be no hope for me. And brothers and sisters, it's not just me, it's you. There would be no hope for you. You'd be headed to hell and you'd go there forever and it would be right. Because it's what you deserve. And it's what I deserve. To receive the wrath of God for every sin that I've ever committed. The ones that I've knowingly committed. The ones that I've chosen to commit. And the ones that I've committed in ignorance. I deserve punishment for them. But yet, Jesus Christ went to that cross. And He took that punishment so that we would not have to. And I say that sort of forgiveness is unmatched in anybody and anything in all the world. And yet it does not stop there. This is getting good, isn't it? This is why we're so thankful for the crucifixion. People that are non-Christians do not understand why we celebrate Jesus dying. But when we look at what this means for us and what it means for the world, there's reason to be excited. Look with me in verse 39. We'll read through the rest of this text. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? 
And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So right, the final picture that Luke paints for us is while they're there, Jesus on the cross in the middle, the criminals on each side, and one is railing at him and yelling at him, and he's kind of joining in with the crowd, right, and mocking Jesus and yelling at Jesus and making fun of Jesus and all this sort of thing. And the other criminal starts to rebuke the first criminal, right? This is an interesting story. If you can picture seeing this actually taking place, you have one criminal on a cross rebuking another criminal on a cross because of the man in the middle. But, but he's saying to him, this second criminal, the one that shows faith, and he does show faith, right? He recognizes that Jesus is innocent, that he has done nothing wrong, that he, he says to this man, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, because we're getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he shows faith as well as he, he calls on Jesus to save him. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he recognizes that Jesus has power and that Jesus has authority and that Jesus has done nothing wrong. And he shows faith and calls on Jesus. And so, of course, Jesus says what you would expect. Shut your mouth, dirty criminal. I have nothing to do with you. Just in case you were asleep a minute ago, that's not what Jesus said. It's not at all what Jesus says. It's what some of us might would expect Jesus to say to us when we call on Him. But no, what does He say? He says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man did not deserve this. But point three is that Christ's mercy is unending. Brothers and sisters, his compassion will, it never has and it never will fail. Ever. His forgiveness is unmatched by anybody or anything and his mercy does not end. It extends to what we would think of the worst of the worst. And I love the reminder that we see here. Because I believe that some of us have made this improper, incorrect judgment before. That nobody is too far gone for the mercy of Jesus Christ. Right? That nobody has been a sinner for too long so that now they have really kind of passed the threshold of being somebody that could be forgiven of their sins. That this man who, I mean, he's a criminal here. I don't know if this is something he's done his whole life, but I can tell you this. This is the end of his life. He's dying on this day and on this day on his deathbed, when he calls out to Christ, you know what Christ says? Not, no, you've done too much wrong. Right? There's, it's too late now. No, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And brothers and sisters, it reminds us that nobody's too far gone for Christ's forgiveness. Nobody's too bad for Christ's forgiveness. That while somebody is living and breathing, that there is hope of forgiveness if they will call on Jesus Christ. And some of you know people like this. They have spent their whole life sinning. They've spent their whole life rebelling. They've spent their whole life living and doing things their way. And we think, there's no reason for me to go and talk to them. But brothers and sisters, the, the second thief on the cross reminds us that there is. There is. Because the gospel can always prevail over sin. Jesus 
always can prevail over evil. We see it here and we're reminded that for anyone and everyone who calls on Christ, that there is forgiveness and that there is eternal life. We're reminded this morning that Jesus came to earth and he did lots of amazing things while he was here. And he taught lots of amazing things. But brothers and sisters, we see the pinnacle of the work that he came to do this week and next week in his death and his resurrection. In Matthew chapter 9 verses 12 and 13, Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Christ came in order to save sinful people. And we're reminded of it again. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 1.15. said, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Brothers and sisters, let me start with saying this. What an amazing God we serve. Amen? That, that criminals on crosses and soldiers that are mocking Him and that people that are following and weeping, that all of these people that He deems worthy of forgiveness... That men and women sitting in this church building today and people in this community and people that you work with and will see this week and that people that you will see at the ballpark and that are on your team and that are in your class, that Christ deems them in His estimation worthy of forgiveness. That He came and died in their place and in our place, that He came and died taking the wrath of God for the sins that we've done, not that He ever did anything wrong, in order that when we respond in faith, that we would know that we are forgiven and that we are made new and that we have eternal life. And brothers and sisters, we celebrate that and we celebrate that big. That's why we make such a big deal out of Easter, because it's a reminder that Christ came and He died in our place. And he overcame sin. And then next week we will see that not only did he die and overcome sin, but he also came back to life and overcame death. And we will celebrate that. And I pray that you'll be here to celebrate that with us. I pray that you will celebrate that this week. And I also pray that you would share that this week with someone. I've already told you that my hope and desire and challenge to you is that every one of us would seek to share the gospel with someone this month. That you would tell somebody... And you think, man, it's, it's, Brother Zach, it's just so hard. It seems so unnatural. What a perfect time if you need a good segue whenever you're talking about Easter, or talking about the kids being out of school for Easter, or talking about what you're doing this weekend. What a great opportunity to simply say to someone at work or at the ballpark or at school, to simply say, do you know why we celebrate Easter? It's a simple question. And maybe they say yes, and they do, but maybe they say no. And here's an opportunity to share with them the greatest story that's ever been told. I pray that you would seek to do that this week. This morning, we're going to do our time of response a little bit differently. I want to allow you to stay seated where you are, or ask you to stay seated. It's not like I make you sit down. 
But as you're sitting there this morning, uh, we have a song that's it's one that I, I truly love um, and I think will be impactful as you hear it. What wondrous love is this? And so this morning, it's just going to be sung for you. And I pray that you would reflect on what Christ has done for you, what Christ has done for us, His death in our place, His resurrection that overcomes death forever. And if you need to pray and repent, do that. If you need someone to pray with you, or if you have questions, I'm here and I would still love to receive you in those ways. But if not, if you would, just listen to these words, think on this truth, and be thankful to the Lord for what He's done for us.
I'll sing His love for me, and through eternity I'll sing on, I'll sing on, and through eternity I'll sing on. very much brothers um, what a beautiful reminder this morning of of who Christ is and what he's done for us and how wondrous that love is how undeserving we are but how good and amazing God is I thank you for coming to celebrate that with us today I pray that you celebrate that well and big this week and uh, everything that we do I do have a couple of announcements I want to make sure that you're aware of uh, one is our usher training. Our annual usher training is this Wednesday night. And